Thank you for joining us at Praise Chapel Paramount. We hope you enjoy this message from our Sunday sermon series, Unplugged. We'll be exploring topics that we need to unplug from. Things like busyness, distractions, toxic relationships, bitterness, and misguided values. When we unplug from these things, we can then plug into God and focus on what really matters. Also, we'd love to hear what God has done in your life. To share your story, email us at info at pcparamount.org. Again, we hope you enjoy this message. But we're glad you're here this morning. Uh, we're just going to enjoy ourselves. Again, we're in this series called Unplugged. And uh, when we talked about several different things about being unplugged, and we're talking about unplugging from things that, that are not good, that are not healthy for us, and especially things that don't line up with the Word of God. Because it's so easy to get sucked into things that the culture and different society believes in. We get sucked into those things that don't, don't necessarily line up with the Word of God. And so if you remember the first week, I talked about distraction. Remember distractions? We can get distracted very easily by things. I talked about how Jesus came to the home of Martha and how Mary was there at the feet of Jesus listening to his word. But Martha was so distracted doing so many other things that she forgot the most important person in the room was Jesus. And she was so distracted, she even got mad at Mary. And Jesus said, you know what, Martha, you're distracted by many things, but Mary has chosen the good part. It won't be taken away from her. And so uh, basically Jesus was saying we can get so distracted that we forget the important things. And then last week, if you were here, we talked about toxic relationship. Now, we're all created for relationships. All of us need relationships in our lives. It's not good to be alone, but we need to have some healthy boundaries. And sometimes there's some relationships that can be toxic. Really, they can be poisonous for, for us. So we need to have some healthy boundaries. And this morning, uh, I'm going to talk about today how to have some boundaries when it comes to our culture. We need to unplug from certain things in our culture that are taking us in the wrong direction. There are many things in our culture today, in our society today, that the values don't line up with the Word of God. They don't line up with God's values. And so this morning, I'm going to talk about that. Uh, I'm going to read you a quote that said, Modern social righteousness often differ, differs from the righteousness of the Bible. Someone has said, A wrong deed is right if the majority of the people declare it not to be wrong. By this principle, we can see our standards are shifting year to year according to popular vote. Now, I'm going to read you a scripture out of 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, and I'm going to give you kind of the three basic views of our world today and our culture, a culture that many times is out of alignment with God. And it says this, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but it is of the world. I'll read you another version. It says, everything that is in the world, the craving for whatever the body feels, the craving for whatever the eyes see, and the arrogant pride in one's possessions is not of the Father, but what? It's of the world. So let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to help us as we get into this message, as we dive into the message this morning. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that your word is powerful, that your word is true, that your word is relevant in 2019. 
And Lord, today we pray that you'd open our hearts, our minds to the word. God, remove those distractions. Remove those things that, God, divert our minds from you. Help us, Father, to receive the word deep into our soul. God, that it only not only touches us, but it transforms us. I pray by your Holy Spirit that I, I declare the word of God, your anointing to be upon every word that I speak. And God, that your people will hear the voice behind the voice. In the name of Jesus, and the people said, Amen. Amen. So there are three basic temptations or three basic uh, worldviews in Scripture. And really, it goes all the way back from the beginning of time. Satan used these three things. And even these three things, the devil tried to use against Jesus. One of them is the lust of the flesh. Remember when God, or when the devil was speaking to Eve, he said, it is good for food when he was trying to tell her, hey, listen, you can eat that fruit, it's good. Remember when the devil told Jesus, turn, these, turn this bread into stone, it was all the lust of the flesh, basically self-indulgence. The second thing was the lust of the eyes, has to do with materialism or increase. The Bible says that uh, when, the, when the serpent began to speak to Eve, she saw that it was pleasant to the eye. See, your eye is the window to your soul. And basically, the same thing was used against Jesus. He said, listen, I'll give you all these things, all this, all, everything here, all, all this kingdom if you'll, if you'll worship me. And the third thing is the pride of life. And this is where the devil began to speak or the serpent began to speak to Eve. And he said, man, God knows when you eat that fruit, you're going to become like a God. In other words, it's narcissism about yourself. Remember the enemy told, say, uh, or told Jesus, jump off this pinnacle. You know, tempt the Lord. Uh, it, it's all about you. It's all about what you want. And so those three things, self-indulgence, increase, uh, impressing others, uh, this is the three temptations of the world. Uh, and many times this is the system in which the world operates in. Let me read you a scripture in 1 John 2.15. It says, do not love the world or anything that belongs to it. If you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. Now, that's a really strong statement, and let me just qualify what he is not saying. He's not saying don't love the world or the people of the world or the earth because how many know God loves the world? And so we're not supposed to act like we don't like anybody and walk around with our nose up in the air. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is don't love or don't fall into the world's value system that don't line up with God. In other words, don't fall into a system where it doesn't line up with God or the things of God. He said, don't love that part of the world. It's not talking about the people. It's not talking about the things of life. And so, again, these are things that we need to have clear in our minds. So I'm going to teach you something. Is that all right? Can I teach you uh, something here this morning that I believe can really help us and really kind of bring clarity to what I'm talking about? There's three words that all of us need to learn. The first one is sacred. Say sacred. The second one is secular. Say secular. And the third one is profane. And I'm going to define those three because many times Christians can get them confused and we have a misunderstanding of what these words mean. God wants you to be a Christian, but God wants you to live a good life. How many believe that? He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to enjoy the things of life, not according to the culture, but he wants you to enjoy the gifts that come with this life. Jesus said, I come that you might have life and have life 
more abundantly. So we have to understand the difference between secular or sacred, secular and profane. Basically, you can enjoy things outside of church. How many understand that? You could. Now, church is good. I love good church. I love how many enjoyed the worship. Wasn't it great? So I, I love good church. I love enjoying myself. But you can have a good time also outside the church, and it's not a sin. Are you with me? It's okay to enjoy yourself outside the church. And so I'm going to give you a couple of definitions this morning so that you can kind of get clarity. The word sacred, what it means is something that is specifically and exclusively for or about God. When something is specifically and exclusively for or about God, that is sacred. That's what we talk about the Bible. When we talk about church, this is exclusively or about God. The second word is secular, where many people get it confused. That word secular is the state of being separate from religion, not exclusively allied with or against any particular uh, religion. Now, historically, the word Secular was just a word with a freestanding term related to everyday endeavors. So I'm going to give you a simple definition of secular. Anything that has to do with people, things, and life is secular. Anything that has to do with people, things, or life. And then there's the word profane, which all of us need to understand. The word profane is anything that is evil, unproductive, unethical, and ungodly. And so many times, even Christians have a hard time distinguishing the difference between what is secular and what is profane. And when you do that, you minimize everything to just the Bible and church. When you say, well, if it's not the Bible and church, then it's profane. That's not true. How many have ever heard of the happiest place on earth? Disneyland. You ever heard that? So all of us have heard that. You can enjoy Disneyland, guys. You can enjoy Magic Mountain. It's not the Bible. It's not church. It's just life having a great time. Those are good. That's secular. Has nothing to do with God. Has nothing to do with evilness. Again, this is just a time where you can see the joy on your kids. Uh, a number of years ago, I would say back in 99 and 2000, I, I, I had a year-round passes. You know how much they were? $100 a year. I'm not kidding you. So me and my kids and my wife, we had five-year-round five five passes. They were $100 and each. So it was $500, and usually our income tax, some of it, we just buy our, our, our yearly passes. And we, we enjoyed Disneyland year-round. There were just a few block-out dates during the summer, but pretty much I can go after work. We'd go and see all people stressed out trying to get on rides. I said, oh, I'll be here tomorrow. I'm not worried about that ride. Oh, yeah, that's a long line. I'll be here next week. I come here all year long. It don't matter. And, uh, but I'll be honest with you. After a while, I, I lost the magic. I'll just be honest. It's just my world after all. Go, oh, my goodness. But I hear that song, man, again and again. But uh, now, you know, hopefully I get a chance to go enjoy uh, Disneyland with my granddaughter. I can hear that song over and over just to see the joy on her face. But the point is this, that, again, those are things that have to do with people, things, and life. God has an issue with profane. What is profane is what's evil, unethical. That's the problem God has with. And so we have to make sure 
that we're not involved in something that's unethical, something that's evil, unproductive, ungodly. Those are the things that we need to be on the lookout for because we live in a broken planet. The moment sin came into the world, it broke a perfect atmosphere. Sin destroyed this planet. It destroyed mankind. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Sin brought death into the world. And basically, we're in a broken planet because of wrong choices, because of free will. Therefore, we have sickness. We have suffering. We have pain. We have death. We have heartache. All of those things. Because we live in an imperfect world with imperfect people, am I right, that make imperfect decisions and they affect all of us. And so all of us are affected by this broken planet. So how do we, as Christians, as believers, how do we live in the current culture? How do we uh, unplug from some of these things that could be very toxic from us? How do we unplug from getting sucked in from the, the values that the culture says they're good when we know they're not good? There's a lot of things in our culture that are not healthy for us. Uh, and so we have to make a decision how do we do this? And I love because the Bible gives us the, the greatest example of a person that lived in a culture much like ours. In fact, mo a lot of the culture back then was even more evil, and that's Jesus. Jesus lived in a pretty evil culture. He lived in a time where people were getting killed, uh, and he, he lived in a time where there was the Roman Empire was oppressing people. He lived in a time where slavery was uh, rapid and all of these things, the poor were uh, thoroughly neglected and all of these different things. And yet Jesus gives us the example of how to walk on the earth when there's a broken culture whose values don't line up with the word of God. See, the wonderful thing about scripture is that scripture gives us instruction. We, we could read the instruction in the Bible and many times we could say, well, the Bible says to forgive. How do I do that? How do we see scripture lived out? You look at the life of Jesus. So the Bible is the instruction. How do we live it out? You look at Jesus' life. He shows you how to forgive. He shows you how to live a life. And so this morning, I, I want to show you several different thoughts this morning on how to live in this world, in the current culture that we live in, and not to get sucked into it, but stay unplugged from some of the values that don't line up with God's word. First John 2, 6 says this. Anyone who says he's a Christian should live as Christ did. Duh, right? That's what it says. I mean, that's, if you're a Christian, you're supposed to live like Christ. You're supposed to walk in his example. It's pretty obvious, but even though it's obvious, there's a lot of us this morning that many times we don't want to live like Christ. We don't necessarily live by that example. It's not convenient today to live like Jesus. Are you hearing me? And so what I'm going to do is give you some values and some character traits on the life of Jesus. And you're going to be amazed when you look at his life because a lot of things that he did was really counterculture to what was going on in that society. In fact, if you remember back then, it was an eye for an eye. Hey, you hit me, I hit you back. You do me wrong, I'll get you back. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Love your enemies. Go, what? What are you talking about? Well, you're crazy. What, what, what is, yeah, I love them. Love them that persecute you. My goodness, what are you talking about? He was counterculture, but yet he gives us the perfect example on how to do it. Now, one of the first values that Jesus talks about is the ability to have discernment. We have to be able to have discernment in our culture. Let me read you a scripture here in Matthew 10, 16. In fact, 
most of the scripture I'm going to give you is quotes that Jesus gave and quotes that he lived so that you can get that example in you. He said, look, I'm sending you out as the sheep in the, in the midst of wolves. I don't like that scripture. How many like that scripture? Would you put that on your, you know, would you put that scripture on your screensaver? I'm a sheep among wolves. Uh, you know, bah. I don't think I would do it. I like, like, I can do all things through Christ, you know, through strengthening me. I got the power of God. I'm a sheep among wolves. Yeah, praise God. No, I'm, I don't like that. But I want to emphasize the second part of that scripture. He said, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Now, how is it that Jesus is comparing us to a serpent? Isn't a serpent evil? No, it is not. An animal is, the, is not a moral entity. An animal operates by instincts, not by morality. So an animal does not have morals, okay? And so uh, it, an animal is not evil. Jesus is saying that we're to look at this snake who is very discerning. In other words, a snake is able to live in the most vulnerable environment. He said, look at that. Be wise of the snake. In fact, John or, or, or Paul the Apostle said in Romans 2.12 or 12.2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may what? Discern what is the will of God and what is, it, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So what does it mean to discern? To discern is the ability to know right from wrong. To discern is to be able to evaluate something, test something, and say, no, this is good, this is not good. How many understand that we're not to accept everything that the world tells us or people tell us? Do you believe everything you hear? Do you believe everything you read? Of course not. We test it. We say, oh, that doesn't sound right. No, that doesn't line up. No, that doesn't make any sense. What are you doing? You are discerning. Just because popular culture says it's okay to do it doesn't mean we do it. Just because the majority of people say this is what you do doesn't mean to do it. Jesus says we're to be wise as the snake and harmless as the dove. No, we're not looking for fights. We're not looking this morning to do all of that. But to, we're to be wise. We're to be discerning. We don't automatically just believe everything uh, that people tell us. If you read the Bible, in fact, I would recommend you read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In those four Gospels, you will see many times where Jesus says, beware, be careful, watch out. He's telling us, you need to be careful. You need to be discerning. You need to be aware of things that are around you. You need to be aware of what's happening around your life. He says, beware. He says, watch out. Don't be deceived. People are going to come in my name and said that I'm he. Don't follow them. Watch out. He says, watch out for hypocrisy. Watch out for, uh, he said, watch out for greediness. Beware. Be careful. He's constantly telling us because you and I are constantly bombarded by all kinds of stuff today. Just get on Facebook. You're bombarded by all kinds of news and Internet stuff. And, and if you let your guard down, all of a sudden things are going to get in your mind. And all of a sudden you're going to be rehearsing. And how many times can you hear like a catchy song or a catchy tune and you're singing it and then you think, wait a minute, I shouldn't be singing that. Say, wait a minute, those words aren't good. 
There's an old song that I used to always just always sing it all the time, and I still realized I can't be singing that. I fooled around and fell in love. Remember that one? <laughs> then I started reading the words. I must have been through about a million girls. Hold on a second. I love them and I leave them alone. That's what it says. I go, wait a minute, I'm a pastor. I can't be singing this song. You know, but it's catchy, right? You, all of a sudden, it's, you're singing, and, you know, you're, you got all these tunes going in, and you start realizing, wait a minute, I'm listening and singing things that probably are not healthy for me. And maybe that even could be some of your entertainment, some of the stuff that you're watching, some of the movies and stuff that you watch that you wouldn't do yourself. You wouldn't go around sleeping with people getting drunk, getting plastered, Right? I hope not. We'll pray for you today. And yet we're watching a lot of that stuff. And yet we, we, we kind of let our guard down. And we're not discerning. We're not, we're not being wise. This is why Jesus said this. Make sure that the light you think you have is not really darkness. In Luke eleven thirty five. Make sure that the light you think you have is not really darkness. You may be thinking, I'm doing okay. But maybe you're accepting some of the world's values that you've allowed in your mind and heart that really do not line up with the Word of God. Now, let me just, I'm going to show you a video that's kind of really controversial. I'm going to show you a video clip, but you make the decision yourself. Listen to what goes on here. Go ahead and put it on. So I'm foot, six foot five, and I'm, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but if you think about that today, you know, we're afraid to tell the truth. We're afraid to be discerning. We're afraid to offend people. And uh, we're being dishonest. We're just not being honest about it. And so we have to unplug from getting sucked in from what people are telling us. Now, now we can't make a judgment call. And now we can't use our common sense. Isn't that true? The second thing I want to look at Jesus is Jesus lived a life of integrity. Say integrity. And most people don't understand the word integrity because if you, to ask someone, Ask somebody, what does integrity mean? Most people are going to say it means honesty and it means telling the truth. And there's a truth to that, that it does involve honesty, obviously, and it does involve truthfulness. But really, what integrity means, it means wholeness. It means together. The word integrity comes from the word integral or integrated. It means wholeness. It's the opposite of living a life uh, of compartments. In other words, when it's integrated or integrity means your life is the same. You don't act one way with one group and act another way with another group. In other words, you act the same way in church as you do outside. That's true integrity. It's wholeness. And I talked about a few months ago about the Titanic, the ship, the Titanic, which many considered the unsinkable ship. And when that Titanic was first designed, they had this design that was state-of-the-art back then, back in the early 1900s. And they made the whole of the ship, the whole, the bottom part of that ship, most ships were just one single hole. So in other words, if it was punctured, obviously the water would flood the entire hole. What they did with the Titanic is they divided it up in compartments. And the theory was that if a few compartments got flooded or they got punctured, that the other compartments would be able to sustain the ship and it would not sink. Of course, we know now that 1,500 people lost their lives when a few of those compartments got punctured, caused the entire ship to sink. 
See, see, we could be honest in one part of our life and dishonest in another part of our life and think it's okay. Can I tell you something? Your ship is going to sink. You're making a titanic mistake. I'm here to tell you today that eventually if you're dishonest in one part, you're dishonest in other parts. And so integrity means there's the wholeness about your life. It's a wholeness. Everything about your life is complete. You don't live your life in compartments. Well, this is my business life. This is my work life. This is my sex life. This is my church life. And so you start living that kind of life. You don't have any kind of integrity. You're supposed to be the same no matter where you're at. Whether you're in church, whether you're at home. That's why your children, it's so important that your children see the same face. Oh, I'm preaching now. It's important that they see your integrity, that you're not one person in church and one person at home. And I'll preach that at another time. I understand integrity is not perfection. None of us here are perfect. None of us here are going to ever be perfect. I understand that. But we're supposed to be striving to have an integral life, a wholeness about us. In Luke chapter 11, verse 36, he said, if you are filled with light, with no darkness, then your whole life will be radiant. When everything is whole, when your integrity is whole, then your whole life begins to reflect that. And Matthew 5.13 says, you are the world's salt to make it tolerable. If you lose your flavor, what will happen to the world? As Christians, we're supposed to be the salt of the earth. There are two purposes for salt. Number one, preservation. Salt preserves food. It preserves the meat from rotting. Second thing is salt is used for seasoning. It brings flavor. As the Christian, we're supposed to stop the world from rotting, and we're supposed to bring some flavor to the world. And that's only going to happen if we live a life of integrity. The third thing that Jesus was able to do in the midst of our culture is he was able to live a life of humility. Say humility. I want to say something else. Humility, anyway. I don't know what is that, humility, I guess it was, or whatever the word is. But anyway, it's humility. It's humbleness. And the thing about humbleness is many people think, well, you know, humbleness means that we say to ourselves, I'm no good. I'm a worm. I'm just a piece of junk. I don't matter. No, that's not humbleness. You're degrading yourself. You're being a fool. Uh, that's not, that's not, God didn't die for junk. You are valuable to God. I said, you are valuable for God, to God. And so he didn't die for junk. He didn't die for trash. In fact, when we begin to do that, it's kind of a false humility when we begin to say, well, I'm no good. Nobody likes me. Really, you're looking for attention. And you're, it's a false humility. It's a sign of insecurity. But humility, in reality, is strength. Humility really is not saying you don't have gifts. It's not saying that you're not talented. It's not denying your strength. Humility is really dependent, and it's dependent not on you, dependent upon God. When a person is humble, they are not dependent upon themselves. They are dependent upon God. Their whole life is lived in a way they say, you know, it's not about me. It's about God. In fact, Jesus said this in the Sermon of the Mount, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. When you say poor in spirit, he's not talking about poverty. 
He's not talking about being poor. He's talking when he says poor in spirit, he's basically saying it means that I, I can't make it without God. I'm empty without you, God. I'm bankrupt without you. I'm poor in spirit. I need you in my life. With you in my life, I can do everything. Can you say amen? So when you depend on God, you're unplugging from independence from God. You're saying, you know what? I need to plug in. I'm completely dependent on who God is. I'm completely dependent uh, on the Lord. And what happens is uh, when you become dependent on God and you're humble enough to admit that, it'll remove a lot of stress from your life. Because the reason why many of us are under stress is because you're a control freak. And in reality, you can't control anything. Am I right? You have no control what's going to happen if you drive that car off this parking lot. You can control what you can do, but you can't control what other people do. And, and there's no way you can stop yourself from getting in an accident if you, you can't control whatever other people do. So we have to give up control. We have to be completely dependent upon God. This is why Jesus made this statement in Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you. He's not talking about egg yolk, okay? He is talking about uh, uh, the, the, this particular apparatus or this instrument that would yoke animals together. In fact, why don't you show that? There you go. There's the yoke right there. And what they would do is they would yoke these two animals together, and it would cut the burden in half. In other words, it, didn't, it didn't, wasn't necessary for one animal to carry the burden or to pull something by themselves. They'd get another animal and yoke it next to them. So now both of them are carrying half the burden. Jesus is saying, I want you to pick the yoke I have, and I'll help you carry the burden. You don't have to carry it by yourself. We can be yoked together. How many believe that's a good idea? He says, I can carry the rest of your life. That's humility. That's someone that's saying, God, I need you. Number four, are you ready for this? Basically, we're to live a life of contentment. What contentment means is that you are satisfied with uh, things that God's doing in your life, and you're not overly wanting more and more and more. We live in a society that is constantly wants more and more stuff. Constantly. I mean, I mean they say today that people have more stuff than ever before, more stuff than we've ever had. In fact, that's why people are constantly trying to get rid of stuff, man. If you've ever gone through your house or gone through your closet, you realize how much stuff you have? There's an industry going on today that's a billion-dollar industry that wasn't even around 50 years ago. It's called storage units, storage units. And that is people are holding more stuff and paying rent on that stuff. And they don't even use it. I'll read you a couple of statistics. L.A. Times said there are 300,000 items in the average American home. It said the average size of the American home has nearly tripled in size over the last 50 years. One out of every 10 Americans rent off-site storage. This is the fastest growing segment of commercial real estate in decades. While 25% of people with two car garages don't have room to park cars inside them. The United States has upward to 50,000 storage facilities, more than five times the number of Starbucks. Currently, there is 7.3 square feet 
of storage space for every man, woman, and child in the nation. Therefore, it is physically possible that every American could stand all at the same time under the total canopy of storage facility roofing. I mean, it's getting more. They found this. The average 10-year-old owns 238 toys, but only plays with 12. This is staggering. I'm going to give you another statistic right now. 3.1 of the world's children live in America. 3.1%. But they own 40% of all the toys consumed globally in the world. We got, we got way too much stuff, way too much stuff. Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 15, be on your guard. Guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of what his possession or his stuff. What I'm saying today is counterculture because our culture is saying work, do much, get more stuff, you know, him that, you know, uh, has the most, most toys, you know, all these different things. I'm just going to tell you today, we're way overburdened with stuff. With stuff. You ever seen somebody that died, some, you know, that had a lot of stuff? Somebody goes, man, I wonder how much stuff he left. He left everything. He didn't take anything. How much stuff he left? Every single thing. Not a thing that he took with him. I can tell you that. And I read this quote that said, we spend half of our life sacrificing our health to get well, and then we spend the second half of our life using the wealth to get health. We're constantly trying to get more and more. Jesus said this, Matthew 16, 26, how do you benefit if you gain the whole world, if you gain all the stuff, but you lose your soul in the process? Is anything worth more than your soul? Number five, are you ready for this? Jesus was able to live in this culture because he lived in faith. He lived in possibility. Say possibility. You know, a lot of us this morning, we're pessimistic. We don't believe. We don't have faith. We're, we're uh, pessimists. We're skeptic. We're saying, I, I'm not sure. I don't think that can happen. And throughout the word of God, Matthew uh, 19:26, Jesus said, with God, everything is possible. Matthew, Mark 9, 23, everything is possible to him that believes. And I believe today as believers, as people of God on this earth, as Christians in this current culture, we need to be optimistic. We need to believe God for greater things. You need to believe God for your family. You need to believe God for your situation. Man, we need to raise our level of faith. Well, pastor, I don't think I can get this job. Let's believe God that you can. I don't have the education. I don't care what you don't have. You have God on your side. He'll help you. He'll give you favor. Believe God's going to bless you. Believe God's going to help you. You'd be surprised. Uh, man, uh, I've, I've had testimony after testimony of people that say, Pastor, they told me, I don't know why I'm giving you this job. Really, you don't qualify. But something says I'm going to give you a shot. Well, God said. That's what it was. God intervened. And God can intervene in every situation and every circumstance in your life. See, the greatest sin in the earth is not pornography. The greatest sin in the earth is not rebellion. The greatest sin in the earth is unbelief. We, we don't believe God for things. Folks, you got to believe God. you got to believe God for your situation, your career, your family. See, you need to ask yourself this question. What areas are you limiting God in in your life right now? Your relationships and your career and your walk with him. What, what needs some changing in your life? What changes need to take place? 
Right now, if there's some spiritual emptiness going on, there's some lack of discipline in your life, man, let's believe God. What are you waiting for right now? Could it be that God's waiting on you? And, and I tell you, we live, we live in an unbelievable time. God has put you in the church. Let me listen to me. God has put you in the church that is literally changing the world. Did you know that? Last, last Sunday, we had dignitaries from Iraq, from Kurdistan, Iraq, right here in our church. I mean, these guys are in government. They're sitting in our church, and we're praying over them. Today, we have the mayor of Paramount. Who knows what we'll have next time? Maybe we'll have one of the presidents come in one day. Who knows? And then, and then we're planning churches, not only in California, but we have churches in Texas, Colorado, Washington, Ensenada, Mexico. Now, that's just this church. That's just this church. We planted churches right out of here. Men and women, couples, raised them up, and they're passionate. And then we're part of a global movement, Praise Chapel International. We're reaching the world for Jesus. We're going into Germany. Are you hearing me? We're touching the world. And yet many of us this morning are saying, what difference can I make? What difference are you making? Come on. You can make a big difference. Let's believe God. Number six, are you ready for this? Hospitality. Say hospitality. And hospitality is basically love in action. It's hand and feet to love. It's basically this morning going out of your way this morning to help someone, show some hospitality, show some kindness. Uh, Time Magazine said this, they're teaching doctors how to care. Would you believe that? They said that doctors today don't even know how to care for people. They, they, this is the quote. It said, at Harvard and other medical schools across the country, educators are beginning to realize that empathy is as valuable to doctors as clinical skill. Believe that? They're barely realizing that? Hospitality comes from the word hospital. You know what I'm saying? You're supposed to be taking care of other people. They, they're barely learning that, you know? I, you know, sometimes I like some of these doctors say, you be the patient. See how you feel, buddy. Somebody needs to care. You need to have somebody care about you. Uh, you need to tell you right. And so I, I'm proud of this church, Praise Chapel Paramount. We show some good hospitality. Our goal here this morning is that by the time you walk through those front doors, uh, at least one person has greeted you. But our goal is to at least have four people greet you before you sit down. But at least one person has greeted you before you even walked into the door. And as you walked in, people said hi to you. That's our goal. We want to have hospitality because our current culture has not learned what hospitality is. They don't understand hospitality. Have you been to a restaurant lately? Sit down. Oh, yeah, okay. You know, it's like, man, I could have gone to a dozen other restaurants. What do you need? What do you want? It's like, forget it, man. I'm getting out of here. And Matthew 10, 41 said, if you welcome a prophet as one who speaks for God, you will receive the same word of reward a prophet gets. So as you're treating someone with honor, you're going to get that in response. And it says, and if you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. So if you, if you just gave them a cup of cold water, it says uh, you're going you're gonna to get a reward. Can you imagine you'll get extra credit if you give me a hot Starbucks cup? You'll get extra credit for that, okay? So uh, what I'm saying to you this morning is so many of things are so relevant today in our culture. And I'm, I'm going to skip this one because there's so many. Well, let me, I, I won't. I'm going to go to number seven here, respect. Say respect. 
Who was the one that sang that? Uh, what's Aretha Franklin. Aretha, okay, yeah, I don't even want to sing it. I might ruin it. But have you noticed that we live in a culture that is flat out, flat out rude? And we need to teach respect again. Even in our nation, it's so divided because of politics. And I'm not going to get into politics. But, man, can't you debate respectfully? I mean, my goodness, you got to tear each other down, put each other down. Do all, can't, can't you debate? I mean, you know, my goodness, I, I look at even Christians in our church. You guys are being disrespectful in some ways. Now, I'm not saying you can't debate, but I'm talking about a friendly debate. But don't get into start assassinating each other's character and all that. They, they, this is what, uh, one person said this, the quickest way, way to raise money is to get an enemy. You can raise 10 times the money against something as you can for it. And so this is why even our media, they love to feast on this because that's the story. They want debate. They want uh, 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 argument. They want all this stuff. They want to try to divide the nation. They want to try to divide people because that feeds, man. That, that gets 10 times more money. That raises more, more attention. If we're not careful, we're falling for that. Even Christians are getting involved in it. You know what the Bible says, Matthew 5, 9? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called what? The children of God. Not the conflict makers, not the division makers. Did it say that? I, I said peacemakers. They're supposed to be bridge builders. Am I right? It's called respect. It's called treating others with respect. And I understand this morning, just uh, we can accept everyone. I don't care what political party you represent, any of that. I can accept you without endorsing you. I, I can accept you without, uh, you know, having to agree with you. We can agree to disagree. Everybody has different political views. Everybody has different views about different things. Praise God, man. You got a different view. But you know what? When it comes to the Bible, that's different. Because Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, and forever. Can you say amen? But all these other things don't matter to me. It's not a big issue to me. And then I'm going to go to the last one here because I've run out of time. And, um, well, I'm going to go to two more. Can, can I just go two more? Generosity. Say generosity. Jesus was able to live during this culture, in the culture that he was in, when it was very ungenerous, he was generous. God's the most generous God. Friend, Bible says, for God so loved the world. Generosity is just displayed in Jesus coming to this earth. He's so generous and so merciful. He came to a people that we didn't, we didn't deserve him. We didn't deserve his mercy. We didn't deserve his grace. And yet, out of generosity this morning, Jesus gave his life. And so I believe today, as Christians, we need to learn how to be generous. And generosity is not for the cause. Generosity is for you. It breaks something in your life. Did you hear me? I don't have to teach generosity here because we have a generous church. Can you say amen? But, but I, I will say this. Last Wednesday we were here, and you, uh, some of you that were here, you got to hear Stephen, uh, uh, Stephen Sherling from Germany. How many enjoyed that service on Wednesday night? And here's the amazing thing is he preached, 
And he said he had a burden to go to Berlin because Berlin is an area where most churches are not making it. And, and he said he hasn't been able to sleep. He wants to go start a church there. And so spontaneously, unplanned, I came up here and said, well, let's see if we can help him out. Let's give him an offering. You know how much money came in Wednesday night? $2,200 came in. We're able to bless him with that. Just like that. People said, oh, we'll respond, we'll give. And then we have our, our, our Harvesters Conference coming up in August. Come on, let me hear you out there. And it's going to cost us. We're going to get into a, a, a pledge campaign in March because we raise money every year to be able to hold our Harvesters Conference. That Harvesters Conference costs us about $60,000. But we do it, our church, our fellowship of churches, we bring them all in for that. We do it yearly. All the churches, there's about 30 churches now here that are part of Paramount. And uh, some, many of them have been sent out of this church and uh, other churches have planted churches. And so we bring it together for that week. But we're able to do that because of generosity. Say generosity. Again, we had the dignitaries from Kurdistan. We're investing into, into Kurdistan, Iraq. We're investing into Germany. We invest every month. We give a, a beyond, uh, outside these walls, we give the mission because of generosity. We believe generosity works. Did you hear me? Generosity works. And so generosity is something all of us need to start doing. Let's, let's be generous. So this last one, and I'm going to close it here, is we need to live by priority. Say priority. We need to have a purpose. We need to have a mission. We need to understand who's first in your life. Because there's so many other things that are trying to get your attention. We can live for this. We can live for that. But I believe the greatest cause is the kingdom of God this morning. Jesus said, I'm about my father's business. The scripture says in Luke 12, 30, only people who don't know God are always worrying. Your father knows what you need. But put God's work first, put it as a priority, and these other things will be yours as well. We've got to learn how to put God first. See, when you put God first, he changes everything about your life. He changes everything about your direction. He changes everything about your perspective. And it teaches you how to learn to live in this current culture. I'm going to have Johnny come. He's going to come and give a testimony. Give him a big hand as he comes. Good morning. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, so I, I had to write it down to so I'm not all over the place. But um, so uh, my family has been in Paramount a very long time. Uh, you know, my dad's parents uh, came in in about '58. Uh, then my mom's parents came in about '62. And so my family is really rooted in Paramount. Um, I've been in Paramount about 33 years. Um, Went to Roosevelt Elementary, uh, went to, to Lincoln Elementary right here, went to Clearwater. Uh, some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, went to Paramount High School. Um, and some of my best memories uh, that I have growing up in Paramount was, uh, was playing sports, right? Uh, uh, football and baseball, those were, those were my main sports. Um, and so I remember my last year of playing Little League. I'm just going to hold this up, guys. I remember my last year of Little League, I was, I was 13, and my coach had, a, uh, had met a friend, uh, and his buddy, he pitched in the 1987 uh, World Series for the Minnesota Twins. And so um, my coach invited him to come out and, and to one of our practices just to, you know, just to be there with us. So he started, you know, he was throwing batting practice, throwing some BP, and as he was throwing BP, I was, I was actually roping him. 
right? I was I was hitting pretty good off of him. <laughs> and um, after after towards the end of practice, I was a pitcher. He said, "If anybody could strike me out, I'll give you a hundred dollars." And so I was like, "Man, I was like, cool." So I had him on zero and two, and guess and then he then he roped me, and then he get, then he hit off me. So I didn't get the hundred bucks. I was already thinking about spending it, but um, <laughs> but I remember this. I remember him telling my coach saying. If this kid stays focused, he can make it, right, which was like a big deal. Um, so sports was a good thing in my life, and it did keep me out of, uh, out of trouble for a while. But growing up in the 90s, I, I really got plugged into the culture. And so for some of these that grew up in the 90s, uh, gangs and drugs were like the culture, right, especially in Paramount. Um, and even, uh, even if you weren't from a gang, you still dressed like a gang member in the 90s, right? And... Uh, and although I never joined, although I never joined a neighborhood, you know they they tried to get me. Hey, you get no, no, no. So at the age of twelve, I I, I began to start smoking weed. And at, at thirteen, I lost my virginity. At fourteen, I started drinking and was smoking weed every day. Right, I, that's how I would start my day. I would have to get high. Uh, I would have, that's how I'd have to end my night. I'd have to get high. Um, by fifteen, um, I, I already started using hard drugs. Started doing coke. Um, crack, speed, being promiscuous, right? Sleeping around. Um, by, by 22, I was uh, I was using meth on a regular for three, about three to four years. I was just strung out, tweaked out. Um, an eight ball every other day. At 23, that's when I met my my future wife. Um, at 26, I stopped using meth, and and just to replace it with beer, with alcohol. And almost every day I'd get home from work and I would just drink, drink like a 12-pack. Then on the weekends I'd drink about 60 beers. Uh, that's a minimum, you know, that's just a rough number. But then in May, uh, May two, 2009, I, I'm playing on this softball team, and the manager of the team says, I got a guy coming to play. He can pitch, and he can also, uh, he also has some good bats. So I was like, cool, man. Their bats are whack. And, every, and But before every softball game, I would, I, would, I would get there an hour early just so I can get get primed, get drunk before the game, right? Because I had to play drunk. Um, and so I met this man. I said, hey, I, I offered him a beer. And he says, no, nah, I don't drink. And I, I looked at him kind of like, you know, how a puppy look, like, right? And I go, I go, you don't drink? How, how do you do it? And he goes, Jesus. And I was like, right? And it's funny because now people tell me, you don't drink? And I go, yeah, I don't drink. And they, they look at me the way I looked at him. So I understand. Um, but it really baffled me that he didn't drink because everybody in my circle drank, right? Everybody in my circle partied. Um, and when he told me it was Jesus, I was like, man. And what I realized now, what I didn't realize at the time was uh, that meeting Albert was actually a divine intervention. It was God actually reaching his hand down to, to me. Um, and for six months, he began to build a relationship with me, calling me, seeing how I'm doing, inviting me to play in tournaments. Um, and then one day, it was a, one day I, I, I was just sitting in my living room, and, and I felt the brokenness. I felt, I felt empty, um, and I was tired of my lifestyle. And, and, I, and I went to church on that Wednesday night, and I surrendered my life to Christ. I remember Angel Flores is the one that led me to the Lord. And, and, that, and in October, it's gonna be, it'll be 10 years that, that I gave my life to Christ. Totally, totally changed my life. Um, so immediately after I got saved, I joined a Bible study or a life group. And from there, Pastor Albert, he's a pastor now, um, Pastor Albert began to teach me how to walk my faith out. And so 
if you're struggling in your walk, obviously you need to you need to go to God. You need that should be your always your first option is to go to God, go to Jesus. But also, I would tell you to join a life group, right? To join a Bible study, be accountable to to your leader, uh, be accountable to your pastors. Um, that that will really help you in your walk with God. So God is so awesome, you know. Um, my, you know, as we begin to come serve the Lord, God begin to to just use us more and more, and we were able to work with the young adults, right? And that was such a blessing. That was a beautiful time in our life that we got to hang out with them and and, and see them now. See them grow is beautiful, but then. Now me and my wife, we actually have our own life group, you know, and, and we have people that, uh, that, you know, just how Albert showed me how to walk out my faith. God is helping me to show them how to walk out their faith and how to help build them up. And it's just a beautiful, I love my life group. I love the people that God has placed in our life. And then, you know, another thing is I also become involved with, um, with city events. You know, we, we do this thing called Pitching Paramount, and it's when we get uh, we get together with other churches, with the city workers, and even Paramount High School. Uh, they come out, and we clean yards for those who can't, like those that are disabled, older people. Um, we paint fences. We paint over graffiti. Uh, a number of things to help beautify our city. We also have, we also participate in Arbor Day, which is um, a tree planting day. And, and uh, if you haven't noticed, outside the cities, Paramount is now officially a Tree City USA. And so um, it wasn't like that 20 years ago, trust me. And, and, and here's another thing. So I'm also now part of a Paramount Parade Committee. So in June, June 1st, uh, Paramount is going to actually be hosting a parade. They haven't hosted one in 47 years. And they asked me to be, to be part of that committee. Which is, you know, it, what blows my mind is that the same city I used to run the streets in, the same city that I used to get high in, I'm now able, able to give back to my city and serve my community, right? I'm an asset to my community now. And all that, all that is directly connected to me unplugging from the culture, the culture I was brought up in, the culture that I, that I learned all these things from, and unplugging from all of that and plugging in to what God wants to do, plugging into to the kingdom of God and plugging in to Praise Chapel. And, and from there on, God has just tremendously changed my life. So plugging into God was the greatest thing that ever happened to me in my life. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount or visit our website at praisechapelparamount.com.